This is a CBC podcast. This is Canada Reads, Canada's annual title fight. Hello, I'm Ali Hassan, the host of Canada Reads. Welcome to the 22nd edition of the Great Canadian Book Debate. This year's theme is one book to shift your perspective. And all five contenders do that in very different ways. This year's contenders are Greenwood by Michael Christie, Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, Hotline by Dimitri Nasrallah, Mexican Gothic by Silvia Moreno-Garcia, and Ducks by Kate Beaton, which will be championed by Jeopardy star Matea Roach. Maybe you've read them all. Maybe you have a favorite picked out already. Maybe you know in your heart who will win. That is a dangerous game to play, but maybe you've got the heart for it. But if you've still got some reading to do before day one, don't worry. We have got your back. The Canada Reads podcast has everything you need to get ready for this year's debates. Each contender has an episode dedicated to learning about the book and its champion. So this episode is all about Ducks by Kate Beaton. Ducks is a nuanced graphic memoir of Kate's time living and working in the Alberta oil sands. Here's the trailer. Meet Katie Beaton. She's 21 years old. She wants to be a cartoonist. She's fresh out of school and saddled with debt. Reluctant to leave behind her close-knit seaside community for life in the unforgiving oil sands. Where bulldozers are the size of buildings. The attention and harassment are constant. It's hard and lonely work that can change people for the worse. And the destruction of the environment and the local communities is just the cost of doing business. To survive, she forms bonds, finds hope, camaraderie, and solidarity with a trusted few. Just like ducks, we migrate, seeking greener pastures, bluer skies, and the promise of a better life. Ducks came out last year, and it's been getting more and more attention by the day. It was named one of CBC Books' top Canadian comics of 2022, and it was also one of two Canadian books on Barack Obama's list of favorite books of the year. And now it's a Canada Reads contender. Kate Beaton spoke with Sheila Rogers on the next chapter about writing Ducks. Here's part of that conversation. Kate, welcome to the next chapter. Thank you. Hi. You're 21 when the memoir opens, and you are one of the Beatons of Mabu with deep roots, strong connections there. When did you understand that you would have to leave Cape Breton to find work? Oh, that's a deeply ingrained idea in Cape Breton. We have been exporting labor for so many generations there, way back beyond my grandparents' time. So I grew up listening to songs and reading stories about migrant labor before I had a complete understanding about the cycle of that kind of work. And you sing them as a child, even without knowing fully that this is the life that you're going to step into. And then when Mm. you do realize it, you just accept it. You go to Fort McMurray, you have a stint uh, in a restaurant as a server, and then you land a job in the tool crib 
at Syncrude. What happens in a tool crib? It services the tradesmen on site, and it keeps the operation running because uh, the company needs to provide all of the trades with the tools of the trade. So in the tool crib that we were in, we were small equipment, so anything from consumables, like a nail, to the PPE, the personal protective equipment, you know, gloves and things, to things like grinders and generators and uh, things that people were actually using in, in within their trades, electricians and welders and mm. pipe fitters and all this stuff. Uh, they all they all needed particular tools, and uh, we were in charge of supplying them. And if they didn't have the tools, then the job wouldn't progress. And that was money down the drain because people mm. would be on site twiddling their thumbs and getting paid. And this is really where you step into an alternate universe, mostly men living in camps, far from friends, far from families. What was that like? It was a, a totally different world. And I didn't know what any of it was coming in. I didn't even know what a tool crib was. I, mm-hmm. I went in because my Uncle Jerry said, you should get a job yeah. at a tool crib. And he knew the rules. And he was like, you can get a job and get into the camp without a trade mm. if you have a job in a tool crib. And I didn't have a trade because I had an arts degree. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And uh, I knew nothing about tools or camps or anything like that. But the camp was the place to get a job because your room and board were paid for. You got to live on site. Whereas in the town of Fort McMurray, it was the boom time. Mm. And the rents were so high that when I lived in the town, I I only broke even. So that's why the camp was so coveted. Mm. And then you get there and you hadn't really known what you were walking into. What did you think uh, you would be walking into? I honestly, I didn't know. Because uh, growing up in Cape Breton, we had lived through so much economic collapse by that point. And in this working class environment, the message is that any job is a good job. Mm. And going out there, I knew that I wasn't going to have a good time. I knew I wasn't going to like it. But I knew that I should be grateful for the job I was going to get. And the the fact that somebody was going to hire me and give me money was the good thing. And back home, they were calling it things like money jail. It doesn't Mm. evoke a sense of enjoyment, right? Mm. Mm. But I didn't know the details in any way. What I expected was to work for money that I should be grateful to have. Mm. And I never expected a a corporation to treat me nicely, but I also didn't know exactly what I was stepping into. I mean, what do you think you expect them to treat you like or or conditions to be like um, when you're 21? Mm. And 21, and a young woman, Mm -hmm. and you and the other women Uh, and there aren't very many, receive unwanted male attention. And you understand even at that time, it doesn't have a lot to do with you personally. It's the fact that you are a woman and there aren't many women. Yes. And one one reviewer talked about the, the relentless harassment and come ons that you faced as, quote, casual misogyny. And as you look back on it, Kate, how how do you see that behavior? It was born 
the fact that these camps and the work environments were outside of regular society. And there was a difference between the work environments that were connected to the town and the ones that were in a camp environment. In the work environments that were that had people going back and forth from from the town of Fort McMurray, where they, they came home to their families every night. There was less of that. And in the work environments where people lived in the camps, there was much more. And that's, yeah. that speaks a lot to how we act and how we treat each other and how, how these workspaces are built and, and what happens there. What did that do to your, your sense of yourself and, and your sense of security? I very much lost myself in the the first time that I was in those camp environments because the more it happens, the more uh, inert you get to it. There are so many different shades of the way that people treat you, and especially if you are not if you're not used to it, if you don't know how to handle it, if you've never encountered it before, you tend to just close in on yourself and absorb it. And um, most of the way that people talk to you is not worth responding to. You become unaware of the danger around you, even, because they're so, it's so casual. They don't even see you as a real person anymore. These are camps that are up to 2,500 people, majority male, and people are working shifts that are 14 days on, 7 days off, or 20 one day's on, eight days off, things like that. They're fly in and fly out. And you might not even be in the same room every time that you come in there. And on the days off that you have, you might be spending two of those days or up to four of those days traveling, depending on the weather. It's very disorienting. And it's very outside of regular society. It's very cut off, very isolated. And... Your only value as a person is your work. Everything else that makes you who you are and everything else that people value in you sort of goes off to the side. And it isn't true for everybody. Some people thrive and some people are fine, but other people are not fine. Mm -hmm. And there hasn't been a lot of studies on these environments, even though they employ so many people from coast to coast. But it does affect people because if you've been in that environment for a long time or even a short time, it does affect you. And because it is so heavily male and so so few women there, and not just women, but you know, they're you know, queer people or people of color, I don't I, I can only speak to my experience. How people treat you and how they treat each other, it changes because everybody is re socialized completely out of society into this new environment and the frustrations and and new expectations and new way of behavior, the pressures that people feel, it comes out in different ways in the way that it, it fell on top of me because I was a young woman there was harassment. And it wasn't personal. I felt that very deeply. I was nobody to anybody but I was an outlet for that kind of frustration. And how does that affect you? 
Oh, it made me feel less than a person. And that was very difficult. Mm. It made me lose a sense of myself. I mean, I had a hard time in so many ways. You can't talk to anybody. You can. Again, we're, we're speaking in generalities. There are people there who are kind. There are people there who are your friends. And there are people there who, who are cruel, but there are people there who are not. There are people there who are from my home. There are people there looking out for me, who go out of their way to look out for me. And there are some that I work with every day, and they become my friends because they obviously they know me as a person. It's too easy to dismiss the whole thing as inhuman, mm. but that's not how human society works either. It's all shades of gray. And there are other women there, so you get to know them as well. You meet other women. What do they tell you about how to be? They have, well, they, they all have different, uh, different opinions. One of the, uh, the earliest women that I worked with was one who, whose children had already grown, and she was always looking for love mm-hmm. herself because she was divorced, and she was telling me that, I, that loneliness was the hardest part of of living there. She was always telling me to, to find somebody, even though I was adamant that I was not, I was not going to date anybody. Eventually, when I did date somebody, I remembered her words. And I always think about her, and I, I always hope that she did find someone, because her loneliness was so... I always remembered it, you know? I always, I always hoped that, that she would find someone. And you would think that in a place where there were so many men looking for for someone that that a lonely woman would find mm. would find somebody that she could love but I, I don't know i don't know she always seemed mm. to go on a date with somebody that she didn't find compatible mm. i want to ask you some questions um mm-hmm. uh, about being an artist and and yeah. your, your impressions of the environment around you at the time you've got a lot of drawings with uh with no dialogue double pages of, of the plants and the mines and the oil sands themselves. And you depict uh, the, the desecration of the land. What did you make of the environment around you as an artist? It's a hard thing to answer because I, you get in on the plane and you're just dropped in there and you don't know what it looked like before. We were not connected in the way that we are now to like, the conversations of climate change and things like that. So you land there and you're sort of figuring out for yourself the scale of what is happening. How much in the forest you are and how much you are, you are digging into something new because some of the places that I worked in were mines that were under construction. They were new builds. Like when you're in a city, you're not thinking about the human footprint, really, even though everywhere that we are on the earth is, is someplace that it has been intruded on and built on. When you're in Toronto, you're not thinking, oh God, we really, we really destroyed this natural habitat because it's been mm-hmm. Toronto for so long. But when you're working in a place like the Long Lake Project and they're just building it, and you look beyond it, and it's the forest, and you're digging into it, you're so well aware of the barrier that you're breaking between yourself and the natural world. If you've never been around some of those heavy haulers where you, you stand up and you're only up to, like, the hubcap mm. on, on the, 
heavy hauler and you have to walk a, a set of staircases to get up to the, <laughs> to the driver's seat. Mm. Or uh, one time they, they brought in the biggest crane in the world. You're, you're talking about the, like, the biggest machines of your life. And then the Northern Lights shows mm. up mm. Ab- above everything. The scale of things just is is unbelievable. So it, I mean, I, I of course I had to put those those things in the book in in some way, mm, yeah. and give a scale of things. And the first time that you see something like Syncrude, you you usually see it if you're driving in, in the dark because you're coming in on a bus at six a.m. And I don't even think that I could do that justice on a page. Mm. You'd have to drive in and see the smoke, lit up by, by smokestacks like fire. And, and things through the darkness. It just looks like something out of science fiction, but you're going in there to work. If you've never seen anything like those things, and then you're, you're in it, you're just, you fly into it, you're dropped into it. It's, uh, it's quite remarkable. Let me ask you about the comics that you drew when you were there, and a reporter calls you to do a story uh, about your life there and wants to ask you questions. And you're very conflicted about talking with her. What were you thinking and feeling? I was so excited at first because I had done some comics and they were they were almost proto-Ducks comics. They were about living in the camps and stuff. And I had put them online with an independent paper. And then I got this call and they wanted to talk about living in the camps. Or, or working in the sands, and and I was I was like wow, you know I was like talk to me, <laughs> you know I felt very special, and then I got on the phone and it seemed like they wanted just to trash talk the men, and that was it, you know in a way that like some people are interested in the camps solely just to to talk about how depraved it is. In a salacious way, like, and, and it's human nature, I think, to be like, oh, we all want to know, like, what did they say to you? What was the worst thing someone said to you? And, mm. and how, how do they treat you? Like, what, what's it like being the only woman there? Sort of thing. I started, you know, feeling so defensive to people because I was getting this call from somebody, like, in an office in Toronto, and... And I was here living in the camps with these people. And I was like, you don't understand this life at all. You didn't have to make the choice to come live here. You don't know the pressures anybody's under. And like I said in the book, a lot of people think that if they had to come there, that they wouldn't behave the same way. And they would, because that's what the place does to you. That is what the camps do. I've seen people come and change. It's not that bad men come to the camps. It's that people come to the camps and either they are able to handle it or they can't. And it's heartbreaking. It's not something that made me angry. It's something that made me sad. Even when people treated me badly, I mean, it, it, it does make you angry, of course, but when you see it happening over and over again, this place ruins people. I hate this place. You know, the people that handled it best 
that I saw. They were like old men from home who had already raised their families. They were kind of like happy, but they wanted to, to like retire and have some money. So they came out there and they like drove trucks and they were like, I drive the truck and then I, I go home at night and I watch TV and I get free food here and I love it. Mm. <laughs> like, but they were sort of like very settled in their life. And the people who struggled the most were the ones who had things to miss in their regular life, who had things that they lost when they left regular society. And I, I riled at the woman asking me the questions, mm-hmm. just talking about how gross people were because I still felt like, like the people around me were more my people mm-hmm. than, than she was because I was talking to someone who had gone to university and all this stuff like I had, but, but the people around me, even when they were acting badly, were, were suffering mm. in some way. And I'm not making excuses for bad behavior. There, there are some unforgivable things that people did mm-hmm. to me. But on the whole, you saw a lot of pain. We haven't even talked about like the mental health issues that mm-hmm. were rampant in the camps. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of drug abuse. There was no talk of of like mental health yeah. and and male workers and everything. Well, there wasn't generally yeah. in no. in society. I I know no. that. And uh, I mean, it's changed. Thank it goodness. Has. But um, but back then, I, no, there really no. wasn't. No, and I hope it's different in the camps now, and yeah. I hope it's different in work culture now, because this was 2005 to 2008. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope that it has changed and, uh, and that there are better resources for people, because back then it was just self-immolation mm-hmm. if things got bad enough. I just wanted to ask you about this quote that, that haunts me, and, and I know Lyndon McIntyre. You know, he talks about leaving Atlantic Canada as making a choice between roots and dreams, which which is a stark choice. What do you think? Yeah, I made a uh, I made a similar sort of quote in the beginning of my book mm-hmm. that you can have opportunity or you can have home, and either one will always hurt. Thank you for this book. It's an incredible work of art, and it's a a nuanced social document as well. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was Ducks author and illustrator Kate Beaton in conversation with Sheila Rogers on the next chapter. And championing Ducks is somebody who knows a thing or two about, well, being a champion. One of the last parts unknown that Anthony Bourdain took us to was this remote Asian land of the Thunder Dragon. Matea? What's Bhutan? That's correct. Matea? What's Virginia? That's right. Matea? What are the Napoleonic Wars? Right. The answer there is the Daily Double. First in the round. Championing Ducks is Matea Roach. Matea Roach is the most successful Canadian competitor in Jeopardy history. The writer and podcaster is originally from Halifax and now calls Toronto home. In the spring of 2022, they won a record-setting 23 Jeopardy! games. They appeared in the 2022 edition of Jeopardy!'s Tournament of Champions and will star in the Jeopardy! Masters spinoff. Matea spoke to Elamine Abdelmahmoud on commotion about Canada Reads and why they're championing ducks. 
I'm sitting here with Jeopardy's super champion, the winningest champion of all time in my books, Matea Roach. What's up, Matea? Uh, not too much. I'm happy to be here. I'm, I'm so happy that you're here. You're here because you're going to be on Canada Reads next month, and you're going to be championing Ducks by Kate Beaton, which is, you know, um, one of my favorites heading into this. I'm not supposed to say that, but here I am. I said it. It's too late. We're going to be talking to all the panelists in the weeks leading up to the show, but in the meantime, we're starting with you. What's good? What's going on? Uh, yeah, I asked to be first to the panelists because my month of March is like stupid busy. So I thought, let's get this interview out of the way and maybe leave an impression in people's <laughs> minds <laughs> before anybody else has the chance to get in. And you got to prepare. You got to prepare for your big debate. Exactly. I, I got to say, when it was announced that you were going to be on Canada Reads, your author, Kate Beaton, she tweeted, you know, my dad is proud of Matea. How does it feel to know that Kate Beaton's dad is rooting for you? <laughs> Uh, it feels so f- – so it was kind of a follow-up to a tweet that she had done when I was on Jeopardy where yeah. she was like, you think your parents are proud of you until you hear them talk about Matea Roach. <laughs> <laughs> and there was like a Beaverton article to that effect too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean the support from uh, you know a, a variety of folks back home in Nova Scotia has been really meaningful. Uh, I have to say that's uh, – that – particular reaction is not limited to Kate Beaton's dad. It's everybody's dad, Matea. You're ruining our relationship with all of our parents. (laughs) But I'm very happy that you're here. I'm very happy that you're doing this. I got to say, from Jeopardy to Canada Reads, did you ever think when you're growing up, you know what? I'm going to be a reality show person. That's what I'm going to pursue. Absolutely not. And actually, when I got the call to go on Jeopardy, I had a moment of like, "Eh, I don't know how I feel about being on television, actually. Right. Um, No, I think that, you know, at least since the time that I was a teenager, I've had a very strong sense of liking my privacy. And so I didn't really see this as something that I would do. But I'm I'm glad I took the leap because it's been a lot of fun. Um, I can't, I literally can't imagine you sort of thinking any other thoughts other than I meant to go on Jeopardy. You know what I mean? I I think I just didn't see it that way because the odds of getting cast on the show are so, so slim Mm. um, that to me, just even to make it past the first stage of the audition process was like a huge surprise. So now you're going to be on Canada Reads. You're defending Ducks. Why did you – why Ducks? So Ducks, actually, and this maybe is news to some listeners, uh, began as a short comic. It wasn't originally a book. It was kind of this strip that Kate Beaton posted. Uh, I first saw it on Tumblr back in 2014. And so this is a book that I was heavily anticipating uh, for years, ever since I heard that it was going to be adapted into this longer form book. Mm -hmm. And in terms of what drew me to the story, first of all, I love the way that Kate tells stories through her art and through prose. I think One thing that graphic novels do so well is that they really, you know, they cut to the core of like emotions. They cut to the core of storytelling because they have to present things in a a way where they're not being too, too wordy. And they're able to express really deep feeling, I think, through the artwork that's there. Um, In terms of the specific story, for me, as somebody who has had that kind of experience of migrating away from the East Coast, albeit for very different reasons, I think I'm naturally drawn to stories that involve that, right? So Kate moving to work in the oil sands after finishing university. Um, and there's just so much in this book, I think, to dissect that makes it a fantastic pick for Canada Reads. So you made history once by becoming the winningest Canadian ever on Jeopardy. You have another chance to make more history because there's been only one other comic book on Canada Reads before. And it was voted out on the first day when that <laughs> happened. So as long as you make it a day two, by the way, you're golden. You've already made history. What do you think it is about comic books that people maybe don't think about in terms of – as just as a form of telling a story? Mm-hmm. I think there's a still a sense that they're not a serious form of literature, and mm. so people don't engage with them like that. It's like, well, there's pictures, so it can't be that serious. Picture books are for kids. Yeah. Um, 
Ducks, I would not say, is a book for kids. There's some pretty heavy subject matter in there that I think is very serious and adult and demands serious engagement from serious readers. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that that's a huge piece of it. And I think part of it, too, is like if you are someone who's a reader and you have a sort of skill set of literary tools in the toolbox, so to speak, to engage with work, you maybe are not able immediately to engage with a graphic novel on the same level because to analyze images, like I took a course on graphic novels when I was in university and I found like it took me a couple of weeks of really paying attention to like, okay, what am I missing here that's being told to me in the images? Because I'm used to reading just the the text and getting meaning just from that. That yeah. I think sometimes is also a barrier. So your competitor, Keegan Connor Tracy, is going to be on next week. Canada Reads is supposed to be this literary survivor. So there's a sense of, um, okay, you gotta you gotta win some friends and influence people. If you get a, if you can say one thing to Keegan to make an ally out of Keegan, what would you say? I think that Keegan and I actually chose books that have some very similar themes. There's a heavy undercurrent of kind of talking about the environment and Kenda's relationship with resource extraction that is in both Ducks and also Greenwood, the book that she's championing. Yeah. So I would say to Keegan, why don't we team up as, you know, the girlies who have the similar themed books? Yeah. And, you know, maybe if hers can't go all the way, she might – if she finds the themes in her work to be important, she maybe can – throw some weight behind me. Matea, that is, I think that strategy would absolutely work. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Of course. That was Matea Roach talking to Elamine Abdelmahmoud on Commotion about their Canada Read selection, Ducks, by Kate Beaton. Matea will be one of five esteemed champions on Canada Reads this year. Stay tuned to this podcast for more on the competitors and their selections. But for now... Let me leave you with a one-minute pitch from Matea for Ducks. All right. So Ducks by Kate Beaton is an autobiographical graphic novel focusing on her time working in the oil sands uh, for a period of two years while she was in her 20s. Uh, so like so many people, Kate is somebody who is from Cape Breton or from, you know, people have this experience from lots of places on the East Coast who had to move away uh, in order to access remunerative work. So why I think this is a great candidate for Kenda Reads is if we're looking at the theme of one book to shift your perspective, I think this book meets that criterion in a couple of ways. One is that as a graphic novel, which is a sort of form of book that hasn't always been taken seriously as literature, I think it really demonstrates the power of that form. And that's something that in itself shifts a lot of people's perspectives. But the other thing is that because it's a book that features characters of various backgrounds, whether it's gender, whether it's where in the country that they're from, who all come to this environment in the oil sands that's very particular and can be isolating, I think that every person who reads it will find a character that they can empathize with, that they can relate to, but will also find themselves empathizing and relating to characters that are dissimilar from them. And that's a very perspective-shifting experience. That was Matea Roach with a one-minute declaration of why Ducks by Kate Beaton is the one book all of Canada should read. Matea and Ducks are one of the five contenders on Canada Reads this year. The debates take place March 27th to the 30th. And you can find out more about this year's contenders at cbcbooks.ca. I'm Ali Hassan. This is the Canada Reads pre-show podcast. Until next time, read on, Canada. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.